Mr. Hunter's new book, but we're talking, let's talk about guns. <laughs> you okay. know what? I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> we can never joke about guns when it comes to the protectors podcast. That sounds good. Now I'm really excited to talk about the next, the next, I haven't read the new series of books yet. I am a big fan of the, the, uh, the swagger books, but I haven't read this new ones and I just got them. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, where it's back in the old days, back to the origins. That's exactly right. Yes, indeed. It was fun going back too. It was great fun. Now, when you're going back and you're getting into the origins and speaking of firearms, you got to like really jump in a whole different ballistics, whole different genre of sniper game. So that must have been even, even better. That must have been really cool, you know, because you've been working with the modern stuff for a while now. Yes. It, in fact, it was... Uh, not only were the, the rifles and the submachine guns and the ballistics different and refreshingly, uh, I would say new, but refreshingly nostalgic to me. I also didn't have to deal with satellites and iPhones <laughs> and all that stuff that just gives me a headache to even think about. So it was a real, as I said before, it was a real pleasant deep dive into a more intense, I would say, but less complicated era. I don't know if it was less complicated. It was, it had its own complications. Yeah. I was going to say it has its own, definitely has its own complications, especially when you think about communication, you know, when you, when your protagonist is way out there in a wind, it's not like he could just call in like to a satellite or GPS and say, Hey, you fire mission or, or anything along those lines. It's, That's it's exactly true. And I was fortunate and I found the authentic 4th Infantry authentication codes on the, uh, the, uh, on the net. And uh, so I used those. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, if everything else was wrong with the book, I got that right. The cool thing is you just mentioned something. My, my lineage goes back to the first army unit army division I was in was a fourth idea in 1993. I got five, you. two, nine field artillery. So now I have to, I have to read them. Plus the historic weapons, man. What was it? What was it like to, to did you actually get to shoot any of these throughout your life? And then you'd be able to like relive that experience. Well, I, to be honest with you, I own just about every weapon that I shoot. <laughs> uh, I even do have a Thompson, uh m1a1 which remains my ideal firearm although i wouldn't carry it it's damned heavy uh i the one i have i, I love this about the gun is you it's got little nicks and cuts in the stock and on the uh on the metal of the receiver and obviously that's from a guy on patrol carrying it diagonally so that it's down across the front of his uh uh, the front of his uniform and it's it's banging up against his canteen and his bayonet and his uh, belt buckle and if he's an officer his 45 holster uh, and th you know and that that really gives it I also have a samurai sword with a genuine cut in it that is where he blocked whoever it was whenever it was he blocked a cut you know coming to him 
And uh, since there's no other marks on the sword, I just assume that he was he ended that fight on the next blow. I cannot imagine. You know, I I love historic weapons as well. I one thing is I my father gave me years ago and it ended up rusting out and I didn't realize it. I had a Mosin Nagant and then I also had a World War II um, uh, saber from the Japanese. And they were so rusted that I've actually taken the time to completely strip them. I'm putting them back together. Right now they're at the stage where they're like blued, but I can't wait to shoot that. There's nothing like, it's like you're reliving history. And that's what I like about the pages of your books. It's like when you're bringing it back, like, you know, whether regardless of what war it is, whatever it is, you're, you're kind of jumping in back and forth into like reality and in fiction. And that's what I always love about these thriller type books. Well, that's that. I'm glad to hear that because that is indeed what, not just me, but my brethren, that's what we're selling. You know, that's that's what we're offering. And that is a trip to uh, places that could in no other way be recovered. And we try and all of us uh, to get the stuff accurately depicted and get all the uh, get everything as it as it was then. Now, I understand, as I said before, you do make mistakes and uh, you do, uh, you know, some things are timeless, like the relationships between enlisted and NCO and officers. And that that's that was as true when I was in the army uh, as when you were in the army as when, uh, uh, you know, Thermopylae, when the Spartans were in the <laughs> army, you know, it's just universal the way those 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 groups of men interact with each other. But, uh, you know, you still, you want to get, I mean, it's important to me, for example, that it's an M1A1 Thompson and not an M1928 Thompson. And there were plenty of M28s around if you look at the photos, but for my mind, it's got to be the M1A1. And, and uh, I've got to, you know, I've got to know what it feels like to carry it. I've got to know what it feels like uh, to shoot it. I've, and I've, all of that is, you know, it just sort of goes into your subconscious and when you're working, we hope uh, it, it, it expresses itself on the page. I think that's one thing that you excel at. And I, I I'm absolutely going to throw these compliments at you. you oh, know, thriller. <laughs> please, dude, please. I'm well, begging you. <laughs> the thriller genre is full of people who love to have their gear, the nomenclature of the firearm, you know, and we get into the tactics and all the different techniques, when, especially when it comes to weapons handling. But you have a way of putting it on the page that it's compelling and it doesn't bog down the story. It, it's something that makes you feel more invested in it. And that's something that is actually a fairly rare quality. I think most of us yeah, I'm guilty of it too. You throw out, you know, hey, this is a cool toy I'm using and you kind of get wrapped around the axle about that. But the way you lay it out, it really does feel like you're taking us into that situation. Yeah. When, you know, I, full disclosure, um, I watched the movie Shooter before I read your book. <clears throat> Books are always superior. So that, that was my bad. Yeah. But when, when Bob Lee Swagger's getting ready to take the shot, you're there with him. I mean, you're in his mind. You feel it. It isn't just a bunch of random numbers or, you know, just techno babble. And I can't thank you enough for that. It's absolutely a joy to read. Well, thank you so much. I try very hard to get the feel, the weight, the heft, 
the culture. Uh, I try to get that stuff as right as it can be gotten based on some of my own experience, based on secondary research, based on people I may have known and talked to. And part of what I do and what we do, people who do this, is we try and uh, we try and uh, recreate it sensually. I don't mean that in the smutty sense of the word sensually. I mean, in a sense that it, it evokes and it provokes all five of your senses. And that definitely comes across in the page. I can't tell you how pleased I am. (laughs) Well, you've had a career of, you know, taking us on these journeys. There's these action packed thrill rides, you know, and it, it is oftentimes violent. I mean, you even talk about it in your nonfiction work, which just the intro to your, your book where you're talking about, you know, being a, the movie critic, um, I, I found that highly enlightening the way you phrased it. I mean, it's always been a cathartic release for most of us, I think, but you definitely took a thinking man's approach to being able to put that pen to paper and articulate it better than any of us ever could. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was actually putting <laughs> fingertips to keys. I haven't, I haven't touched a pen in about 30 years. Uh, but I, I, you know, there, there's, I mean, with me, at least, there's always a kind of a battle or a tussle between the sensual, as I said, and the intellectual. And ideally, you can get them both. You can get them in sync and in harmony on the page. That's that's what we're trying to do. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, uh, you just go on. And I mean, there's nothing else you can do. I once said the. The great New York Times column says to Russell Baker, someone asked him, Russell, what happens? You write a column and you know in your own mind it's not your best stuff. It's not very good and that you could do much better. What do you do then? And Baker said, publish it. You know, you're just. Unexpected answer. Yeah, you just, that's what you do. That's your job. You do it and knowing like a baseball player, you're going to hit a home run one day and go over over the next day. That, that actually makes complete sense. Uh, so it, out of curiosity, how much how much time when you were spending like being a journalist writing for papers, how did that, you know, affect the way you approach writing novels? That's a very interesting question and I don't fully know the answer. Uh, uh you know, I think that one of the things that's happened is I look at that process and the relationship between the two, the two uh, uh, crafts is that in the early days, I kept them very separate. But then as I got more relaxed in my career and as I sort of I sort of found a voice and this the sarcasm, the sardonicism, uh, the I hope wit of the film criticism began to move into the fiction. And now the books are, they're full of irony and they're full of little jokes and little references. Some people don't like that. I, I get that, you know, okay, go read someone else. That's just <laughs> what I do, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, I mean, you can't get in this business where you're trying to please a market. You have to do what, you think is best and you have to uh, you have to work it out the way you think it should be. And it's just that's the that's the game. Uh, 
I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's like journalism world is like, it's bizarre. And, you know, it seems like the historical way of like investigative journalism and journalism wasn't all about clicks. It was about, you know, you can have your own opinion. You could write to it and get it out there without having to worry about clicks. It seems like a lot of days, everything is about that click. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with you. And if you ask me, am I sorry that I left journalism in 2008? My answer is no, I'm not. And what is happening to the industry now is something that leaves me very uneasy. And uh, it's just, I, I don't, you know, I have nothing particularly intelligent to say about it other than I don't much like it. I wish there were a move afoot to return to clear demarcation between analysis and opinion and factual yes. reporting. And that has not, those two have sort of melded together. So you're not getting what happened. You're getting what a certain person thinks happened and how he thinks uh, in, you know, in his, his opinion on the ramification. And, I, you know, I don't want that. I want to make up my own mind. And I just wish there was some way that we could return. I, you know, maybe I'm just a crazy old man because I am old. <laughs> nope. Nope. Be man. Oh, but I, I, I miss that. And I see things in papers or in columns all the time that literally would not have been allowed 20 years ago. Now, listen to me ranting and raving like a crazy guy. Too bad I don't have hair because it'd be a lot of frizzy now. But uh, it, it's just, I, I think it's a, I think it's going the wrong way. I think it's going the wrong way. And I wish there were some way it could, someone would put some money into a, a conservative Steve Bezos would put some money into it and try and build a great newspaper on the old novel. I'm sorry, on the old model. I, you know, I absolutely agree. I'm a big fan of investigative journalism, like true investigative journalism. I'm about to cap a 23 year career as a Fed special agent and officer and everything else in between. But that's the thing is like everything has to be facts. You know, when I first started yeah, writing reports, especially, yeah, yeah, you know, because back in the day, like when you write a report and you if you have a good supervisor, you're be like, nope, did that did it happen or you think it happened or is it your opinion? Put the facts in there. Just the facts, man. We, we all remember that. Yeah. And that's what you know, one thing I am kind of as I retire, I'm doing more newspaper articles, more, you know, writing more journalistic type writing. And I'd like to get into that field. But finding the right outlet to get into that field is pretty tough. And I, I like the idea of having some sort of outlet where you could actually do just the facts and let the reader, you know, take it from both sides. It doesn't just have to be one political side, the other political side or one, whatever. Just get all the facts, put them in there and write them in a way that the reader can make their own decision. Well said. Well said. Agreed. You know, 21 years of military intelligence, you know, I, 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 it, yeah. it baffles me that people don't want to think for themselves, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it, that I, journalism aside, you know, you you've had quite the uh, the litany of work, and you even won a Pulitzer. If I, I did, didn't I? You did. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. I, just the, just a little little thing that you yeah. know was in in well, there somewhere. Um, 
so what what was that experience like? Oh, it was insane. It was crazy. <laughs> the Pulitzers are from inside. The Pulitzers are a lot different than they appear from the outside. A lot, and they and see the thing is they give you you get a Pulitzer for a whole different variety of reasons, as I'm sure in your uh, in both your fields you see people getting promoted for variety of, of reasons some you're being rewarded for a career sometimes you get them you're being rewarded because you earned it last year but they didn't get around to it some you're getting you're getting the award because uh, you know you get the award but then you back another paper getting another you know there's a lot of horse trading and that sort of thing it's political it's all political i since my field movie criticism was so off the beat track in journalism. And since I had come in second a number of times, I believe that it was, it was an honest Pulitzer. And that makes me, that makes me happy. I mean, nobody, you know, I didn't get the Pulitzer because uh, the Hawkins Falls Gazette also got one for uh, sewer commission uh, here, you know, <laughs> that could happen. You know, that's, that's not far from the truth. Uh, but, so uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't, so everybody it was, got a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. And I would, had I known this was going to come up, I would have brought the physical thing to show you. It looks like a really early, uh, Van Steuben glass sculpture. It's a very strange thing. You could, or actually, it looks like the they used to remember they used to when, when in the days of cavalry, they would sow battlefields with tri pointed stars to trip up the horses. That's what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's quite lethal. You could, you could do some real serious, uh, bad boy damage with it, believe me. Potential storyline? Yeah, a potential, you know what? A serial killer who at one time won the Pulitzer and then later on he starts killing people with it. Uh, This is, we, all three of us, we could get together and we could write an awesome, incredible book like Seven or something like that. Oh, yeah. That gives me chills just to think about it. But you, you frame it so well when you were doing your nonfiction and you're doing your critiques. your intro, you had something. It was. I'm gonna say, ah. So the um, you've had made some emotional contact with violence and have let it sweep me away, fire off my all my synapses and liberate my imagination. I, I can't think of a better way to put how we all view, you know, not just what we see in the movies, but what we read on the page. You know, like this type of genre, it's going to come up. Violence is a thing, and your critiques of that are not glorifying it by any stretch of the imagination, but looking at it through the lens of, you know, enhancing the art form or enhancing the storyline. And I find that very refreshing. Thank you. My idea was that I didn't want to be hypocritical. I wanted to acknowledge the, some of the vulgar pleasures of the movies. Like I admit, I like horror movies, hate me, sue me, Crucify me, I don't care. I'm going to watch my Lucio Fulci movie tonight, no matter what. Um, you know, and but 
you know, and everybody has what they call guilty pleasures, things that they don't want other people to know they really secretly enjoy. And my idea is one of the fundamental responsibilities of a critic was to be honest about that. And so that was that was one of the things that guided me in my 28 year career. I mean, I can't believe even now that for 28 years, I got paid to go to the movies. That's just uh, it does. It's not going to happen. Dream job. Yeah, it is a dream (laughs) job. Yeah. Well, but I have to tell you, the movies changed and it was a dream job uh, through the 80s and the 90s and maybe even the early uh, 2000s. But that's just, you know, like the newspapers, like television, like all the communications media, it seemed to me that they started to veer off into areas that I was uncomfortable with. And I didn't want to be writing the same piece week after week, day after day. Oh, you know, and it just gets tiresome. And uh, so I, I knew when it was time to bail out. No, that makes sense. If it's no longer enjoying or it's exactly. not a surprise anymore. Yeah. And I, I found that there were very few movies I really looked forward to seeing any more and that met my definition of a movie, which was a, a filmed record of drama. That's what I, it was a drama. It was a document of photography and performance. It was not, had nothing to do with computers. And now you're not, you're looking at what some 17 year old boy genius, you know, digitally painted in the San Fernando Valley. And that's just not, that wasn't for me, you know. The 80s and 90s movies. I, uh, you know, the 90s, because I'm, I like to call myself like an IMDb database. But like the 90s is when like a lot of the independent movies started coming out. You started seeing a lot of different, not the blockbuster movies out there. Now everything is about making money now. Isn't it's, it it's like uh everything's digital and it, you would think the cgi would be up to speed up to snuff but it's still when you watch a movie with monsters and everything it really does look bad oh i I, could, <laughs> I agree i completely agree and my eye will never get used to that uh because i've seen so many thousands of movies that were just human beings that when you put a you know an 80 story tall lizard with a square snout in downtown Los Angeles, everything in my brain is saying, hold on there, partner. That's, that's not, let's not get carried away here, you know? So, you know, when you look at it, like a movie like Altered States or American Werewolf in London, which were still Hollywood type movies, but they had like real effects. Well, that's And true. they kind of freak you out. In both of them, they were physical effects yeah you know they were you were a photograph of something a very creative and gifted prop specialist had constructed but when you're looking at godzilla that's not that that's a particularly (laughs) horrible movie by any means but you know it looks to the quote unsophisticated eye it looks real but if you've seen a lot of real stuff it's uh, it, it no longer it just can't look real for some reason. Yeah, but my three year old still loves Godzilla. So that works for me. Keeps him entertained for a little while. Oh, well, that's the toughest things with like movies with guns. I was going to bring up that before about, you know, every movie now, if someone pulls out a Glock 
are a semi-automatic. You hear hammers clock in there, and the, the gun always rattles for some reason. I don't know what they, I don't know about love, you, but the guns are always yes, rattling. You're right. They love the click sounds of the guns, and they that's why they like pump action shotguns. Mm-hmm. They have the same guy pump the gun four or five times. I mean, they don't realize that he's just spilled out all his shells. Uh, but it's it's always oh here they come click click you know you just it gets so it gets so boring, and I'm sick of Glocks. I own a few Glocks, but I'm sick of them in the movies. Oh, that actually, this is a pure curiosity question. But uh, have you seen John Wick? Oh, I've seen uh, yeah, I've seen all three John Wicks. Uh, to me, see, I again, I'm drawn to realism, and while I have enjoyed them. Uh, and while I know for a fact that uh, Keanu is a very good shooter, I mean, he he works out, he's got a trainer uh, and he's he's he knows what he's doing with a Glock. Uh, however, it's you know, I just I, I would prefer shooting in a military or a civilian context uh, that was, you know, awkward and scabby and frightening and if someone was hit or killed, it was it was a major emotional and physical situation. And what I hate is in the movies, someone gets killed and everybody just walks over the body and, you know, it, it, it means nothing to them. If you see somebody die, it's going to be a memory that stays with you, I believe, your entire life. And it, it's just that that sort of that sort of. Uh, removal from reality is something that I find uh, quite annoying. That's and I say that because they did that in my, uh, in the movie version they did of uh, shooter. Uh, shooter, shooter. It's uh, my book point of impact, which became shooter. And it, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I signed a check, I cast the oh. check. Ah. No, you I know, oh, is- no, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't accept this. Are you kidding? Right, where do I sign? Give well, it to me now, please. <laughs> there is a bit of a parallel. I mean, in both movies, they killed his dog. And yes, that's right. all hell broke loose afterwards. Yes, so there is did. some. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the TV series? What What did I think about what? Uh, the oh, shooter the TV, TV series. series. I thought the first year was really very good. Uh, I liked Ryan Filippi very much. The guy that uh, put it all together seemed like a very decent guy. I thought it got sort of wilder and crazier the last two years yeah. until it got it got sort of ridiculous at the end. And I knew it was they were going to lose their audience because the people who were drawn to that. Mm-hmm. The people who were drawn to the first movie were drawn because there was good gun handling. I mean, and the the people knew what they were doing, and it wasn't it wasn't crazy stuff, you know. Uh, and uh, and I don't know why they went away from that. Uh, I don't know, you know. You 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 you. They think they know so much. Of course, they know nothing. They know nothing. So uh, they're just throwing stuff against the wall. Mm-hmm. And if it sticks, they're geniuses. <laughs> That's one thing I like about Ryan Felipe is uh, The Way of the Gun was an awesome hey, Wasn't movie. that a good movie? Yes, that, you know, that one. Up. And they had, when they used a 45, they started with the hammer back. If I see yes, another movie right. where I someone's think. rolling with that 45 and the hammer's forward and they're yeah. clearing a the house, I'm like, oh, you're killing yes. me. But I really enjoyed that movie a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he, he, the guy who directed that movie and who wrote it, his name is Christopher McQuarrie. And he's had a very, very good career. He's now hooked up with Tom Cruise and he's written Hmm. some of the Mission Impossible movies. But he said his brother, I interviewed him and he said that his brother was a SEAL and that his brother came on the set and Uh. talked to all of them. And that's another movie like Shooter in which the gun handling is very realistic. And it's something that no movie critic gets because to mm-hmm. them, you have, you handle the gun one way or the other, who cares? What difference does it make? But even without knowing, without having it being pointed out to them, most people in the audience have an instinctive feel for what is realistic and plausible as opposed to what is goofy and, 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 and just Hollywood, you know, BS. And both those movies communicated that. I agree with you. I, I, I see what you're saying about it. I see the distinction between it. Yeah. I say, and that makes complete sense. Although you're probably also right in that the general audience also kind of does like it when it's a little bit more yeah. macabre and a little yeah. bit more showy. Yeah. Just because of, well, the entertainment factor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a musical number in a MGM musical of the forties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the new gun movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything's like a musical number. Yeah. Somebody comes out, Zigfield Follies, you know, starts doing a kick line yeah. and then and yeah. suddenly everybody's got a Glock. <laughs> and it's funny because there was a movie called Equilibrium and it had um, Christian Bale in it. And it was almost like gun foo. And it, it, it almost seems like these kind of movies all are doing that like gung fu now where like you're you're throwing bullets and you're you're doing flips and spins and all sorts of other things. And it's just like yeah. I can't deal with it. No, it is a little <laughs> hard to take. Yeah. Now, with the kind of the wealth of experience and knowledge that you have on this, have have they ever asked you to produce or be a tech advisor in no, any of these films? It would never work like that. I have never I've I, I was out there, I visited both sets for the TV show and the movie. And I have to say they treated me very nicely. They wanted me inside the tent, not outside the tent. And I I have and uh, Kurt Russ uh, Kirk uh what's the guy's name who played Bob Lee? Kirk Kirk Russell. No, no, was that it? No, who was it? In which oh one? Mark Wahlberg. Mark oh, Wahlberg. Wahlberg. Mark. Excuse me, he's a very decent young man. I uh, very respectful. And I can't, there's nothing I can say, you know, scandalous or or bitter or angry about about it. Uh I just it's just that they they think they know so much and they're not that open to uh to suggestions from outside. Like uh, just real brief, I know we're running out of time, but I didn't like the ending of the movie shooter. That was not my ending. Bobby Swagger would shoot old men in the head with a 45 automatic, uh, particularly not a senator. Mm-hmm. But they they threw that on at the last minute. I didn't even think the director, Antoine Fuqua, who's a very good director, especially of action sequences. He did Tears of the Sun. I don't think he directed that last thing. I think that was just some, uh, who knows? I don't know who it was, just some studio hack. And uh, it was, you know, they sort of went for the cheap, the cheap hurrah at the end, mm-hmm. as opposed to 
how things in real life are, which are sort of messy and, and unclear. And, uh, you know, I just I, I remember watching it with my wife. I, they did give us a private screening. And I remember standing up in my uh, chair and saying, no, no, don't shoot the senator. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. I can't imagine. Because that's like your baby. I mean, I. Yeah, exactly. I sent them an email in which I tried to figure out how they could get out of the mess they made of it without reshooting. Mm -hmm. uh, it just would have involved some redubbing. Uh, they didn't even bother to respond. So. You know, that's well, if anybody, way. if anybody in Hollywood needs a, a technical advisor, you can get a hold of us. We're I'm, right. I'm always I'm always ready to jump yeah. in. Jump yeah. in there. I pre I really do appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to having you back on again. But everybody, you have to pick up the book, The Bullet Garden, Earl Swagger, number four. But um, Mr. Hunter, I really appreciate you coming on the show again, and I really, you know. Thanks again. And you know, I could always talk guns. We could, well, you, we could probably fill up two hours of just yeah, talking good, guns. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were great. I, I, I felt comfortable. Uh, I love the beautiful young woman laughing at my Aww. joke. It, it doesn't happen much in real life, but it happened today. That makes me happy. <laughs> well, this was truly an honor. And I, I actually kind of crushed that this is over. I was just like, really? It's already time that. Yeah. <sighs> This is sort of truly a privilege. Thank you so much, you guys. You were great.